0: At a time when there's huge uncertainty, at the same time when you've got deep, complex social issues that face us everywhere we turn, people are actively craving leadership.
1: Welcome to the Inspire podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnal, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence, Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hi, and welcome back to the Inspire podcast. Hard to believe that the last time we recorded I was uh, doing an episode in Montreal and uh, traveling on a plane in a room with more than 50 people and just beginning to think about the potential for coronavirus to impact our world. Well, in two weeks, everything's changed. We've closed our offices, we're delivering virtual uh, programs, and all just focused on safety as we, uh, as a world, collectively manage through this challenging time. One thing I can say. Leadership is going to be critical. If you're leading a team, if you're managing people, if you're a thought leader, people are going to look to you. Your messages will matter because people trust their leaders. And now is the time to build and use that trust to help people get through what will be a challenging several months at least. The podcast today uh, was recorded before this pandemic hit, but it covers the topic of trust. My guest is Scott Evans of Edelman, uh, a global PR communications and marketing agency. And Edelman does some incredible longitudinal work on trust, what it takes for leaders to build trust, how they erode it, and how they can use that trust to do amazing things. It's particularly relevant, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Scott Evans. Scott, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. Thank you, Bart, really happy to be here. And thanks for coming. And you are the general manager of Edelman Toronto. That's correct. And many people may have heard of Edelman, but maybe I'll let you describe what Edelman is, because I know it's an evolving company.
0: Sure, yes, we're a global communications firm um, that ultimately we're partnering with businesses and other organizations to help them evolve, promote, and protect their brands and reputations. And, um, you know, we do that in a wide variety of ways. Obviously, the media landscape is changing dramatically. And so the ways in which we do that may vary significantly.
1: And would you say that Edelman, you know, 15, 20 years ago would have been described as a PR agency?
0: Yeah, I mean, we were the the world's largest public relations agency, which is really quite amazing when you think we're an independent and family-run firm. But over the last several years, we've really evolved the offering that we have, which really marries our history as storytellers in the public relations side and understanding the impact of, of, of stakeholders on a brand or a reputation, but also marrying that with the data and inale- analytics that you need from a marketing standpoint and sort of the beautiful storytelling that creative brings. So bringing all that to make sure that our our, our clients' stories are, are told and understood.
1: There's so much opportunity to dig into thought leadership, do research, come up with ideas and share thinking with the world. And I know that's something that Edelman's done really well on the subject of trust. Yeah, so, so we do invest, and we have for the last 19 years,
0: in our signature piece of intellectual property, which is called the Edelman Trust Barometer. Um, so we have 19 years of data. Wow. It is the largest longitudinal study of trust of its kind, where we primarily look at public's uh, view uh, of trust in four institutions, NGOs, government, business, and media. And these institutions, because they're largely the ones that we empower to make decisions on our behalf as it relates to uh, society. So we do this, uh, so the last year, uh, 27 markets around the world, 33,000 respondents. Wow. Now, this data would have been fielded in October, November 2018. We've just been in market with our most recent one, and we'll release the, the, the data in February.
1: And that's available
0: Free for anyone who wants it. That's right. You can go to edelman.ca and specifically sign up to uh, to get the Canadian report. And actually, that would allow you to, when we release the data in February of next year, uh, which should be quite interesting, given that we just recently went yeah. through the federal
1: election. Mm-hmm. Um, that data would be, become available to mm-hmm. you as well. Do. So let's look in. Let's dig into that a bit. Leaders and trust. What is the barometer telling us today? Well, I think it's good to start with providing a bit of context of what trust
0: overall is telling us. Um, In 2017, not surprisingly, we had a big collapse in trust around the world. I mean, a big couple major events, you had the US election, and you also had Brexit. So this is falling on the heels of that, right? What we've seen in the 2018 data is that we've seen a rise in trust. In Canada, specifically, there's really what I would say is a fairly significant concern where you're seeing a separation, a polarization that exists between what we call the informed public. So these are individuals who are college or university educated, their top quartile of income for their age group, age 25 to 64, and higher consumers of of business and public policy uh, information. and the mass population, which is basically gen pop minus that informed population. And in Canada, we see the uh, second highest gap, or largest gap of all the 27 markets that we look at next to the UK, and we know what's going on over there with with, with Brexit. So that's concerning. And then globally, we just see, generally, uh, distrust continues to to, to dominate. Um, There's a growing pessimism. And only 34% of the general public in Canada believes that they will be better off five years from now. So That's you know, pretty
1: pessimistic.
0: <laughs> it is. And I think you know, people are worried about their jobs. They're worried about how their jobs will be affected by innovation. They're worried about the, whether they're having the right amount of training to, to, to continue to be relevant in the jobs that they're currently on in. And they're worried about you know international conflicts around tariffs and trade policies. Sure. And we see as it relates to multinationals, the fears are even greater because obviously they're subject to the same technological and political changes, but they are also subject to you know restructuring that can
1: happen, uh, happen more frequently. So we've had a slight increase in trust, but we have gaps in, in trust and, and real anxiety. What does this mean for leaders and their role in building trust?
0: And I think that's great because... Um, at a time when there's huge uncertainty, mm-hmm. at the same time when you've got deep, complex social issues that face us everywhere we turn, people are actively craving leadership. And uh, it's an environment where you know we believe CEOs, business leaders, must really step into that role and lead. And, and it's not just our point of view. In fact, uh, people are actually expecting it. So,
1: and, and how do you know that?
0: Because in our study, 79% of Canadians say that CEOs should lead on change, change rather than wait for government to impose it, and this is on issues, frankly, that may not relate directly to their business. So it could be equal pay, racial discrimination, climate change, and interestingly, that we ask that question of CEOs in general, but when we ask employees about their empl- or their CEO specifically they also feel that their CEO should be standing up for them and their shared values. And that goes beyond uh, many of the traditional organizational issues.
1: Well, uh, and there was something that happened this last summer, uh, summer of 2019, where a number of CEOs got together in the U.S. and signed on to a commitment to more than just shareholder value. <laughs> that's, is that an example of this kind of leadership? That, that's a great example of it. And you see other
0: business leaders like Larry Fink um, from BlackRock actively coming out and saying, this is the expectation that we need to be delivering uh, more than just shareholder value. And so I think you know the big question will be, are business leaders truly committed to this? Um, and uh, certainly we're, we have data in our own trust that suggests that uh, institutional investors would like to see this happen. Um, and uh, and so certainly it's coming from both the employees, right? It's also coming from the investors. And so really our hope is that businesses will really step up and lead on
1: big societal issues that are very difficult to handle. And, and so you mentioned CEOs and companies. You know, uh, obviously there are relatively few CEOs in leadership. Does this Desire for leadership extend past the C suite into lower levels of organization.
0: Well, first of all, I mean, even if you look at who, who's most trusted within an organization, it's actually not the CEOs hmm. is when it? you ask the public. It would be uh, experts, technical experts that exist within an organization. So, you know, when you look at how you're trying to communicate a particular issue so that the public understands it well, recognize what are the voices of your organization that people. Uh, that that have a higher trust associated with them. And in fact, employees themselves have greater trust with the public than the CEO does. So um, again, it's recognizing the myriad of voices within an organization. But I would also say, you know, um, when you're trying to set the vision or when a CEO is setting the vision within an organization, you know, they can set the tone, uh, they can create the framework, but ultimately it's up to their leadership team to lead by example so that that vision and values truly comes to
1: life. And that's what is so uh, aligned with the work that we do, you know, where we see people who come to us and say, look, I want to lead, I want to be able to do so authentically, and in a way increasingly that's where my values and the values of the company align. You know, I think when I started in the business twenty years ago, there really was this kind of discrete separation of like this is the company and then this is me. And now people, you know, both want to show that kind of melded leadership. And I think it's expected of them. Well, and this is it, right? I mean, a lot of CEOs, excellent
0: CEOs, will say they recognize how important their employees are to them. And they place a lot of effort in knowing their employees, their personal interests. They build a relationship there. But again, a CEO can only do so much. And that's where a leadership team and even managers below that leadership team can play a very important role in bridging connections so that employees feel that their voice Is being truly represented
1: within an organization. What is the starting point if you want to begin to build trust inside or outside of your organization?
0: Well, I I think it really starts with your values, and your values need to be something more and different than what's posted on a wall. That so, this isn't just the company values. (laughs) Well, it it is the company values, but in a way that it's not. It's it's something that people actually feel and live, and they understand how they can make a meaningful contribution to those values. And really, this is about having something that will guide the decision making that's made within an organization, both at the you know senior level and all the way through the organization and also guides the behaviors within an organization. So how do employees interact with one another? How do they relate to management? How do they relate to the external environment, stakeholders, customers, et cetera? So, you know, a a good CEO um, knows that particularly at a time of great complexity in the world, they have values that are meaningful to their employees and they're actively living them and modeling them. And then an excellent CEO really goes beyond that where it's, you know, not just the values, um, but it's actually start reinforcing and articulating a clear organizational purpose, you know, one that balances both the profitability side, but also making a meaningful impact on society. You know, so where do you stand as a company? So let me put you on the spot. What are
1: Edelman's values?
0: <laughs> well, Edelman's values are the relentless pursuit of excellence. It's uh, constantly curious and the courage to do the right thing. I like that you only have three. That makes we have three. Well, and in fact, we went through an exercise that I was involved in where we brought together people from around the organization to sit in a room and figure it out. And we needed to make sure it was consistent, didn't matter where you were from around the world. And what was amazing is we got the same things that bubbled to the surface, um, but we also knew that it needed to be three, and this was really Matt Harrington, our chief operating officer, said it needs to be something that people can remember.
1: And how about you and your values? I mean, are that, where is there overlap? Like, where are your personal values? How does that work? <laughs> well,
0: I would say certainly uh, relentless pursuit of excellence is something that I'm very much committed to. I believe another value I would have is, is respect. Uh, you know, I really believe in a sort of a flat organization where every individual in the company um, has a voice. Uh, it doesn't matter what level they are. And I think particularly as we become more complex as an organization with different capabilities that we didn't have before, um, having empathy for what are the demands that are being placed on another individual in the organization, um, you know, trying to put yourself in their shoes, it's critically important because then you can have a very honest and frank conversation around, okay, well, this, how did I misinterpret this? What could I be doing differently, right? right? It, 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 it opens the door for a different type of conversation. Uh,
1: give me an example of a CEO uh, who really has personified this kind of clarity of values and, and used it in a way that's built trust. <laughs> well, I think
0: a re- really great example here, and this is a, a global Edelman client, but is, is Starbucks and Howard Schultz who really as a CEO, built his uh, built a culture and a company by putting people and values first. And and you know when I talk about this, he really focused on the employee mm-hmm. as the most important audience and identified employees as partners. Right. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, almost every decision made by the organization was understanding it for the employee first. A lot of communications related to. The company's interest in taking on big societal issues, again, went to the employees first. And the importance of establishing values and uh, inclusivity and all all of the commitments that he set forth were employees, was that allowed him, the license and the company, the license to step out on very important issues. And if there was any sort of significant blowback, because it endeared his decisions in the company to his employees, they would, in many cases, be advocates for the Starbucks brand. And they would represent it in the in in their stores, mm-hmm. which what? is a very important part. They're in the communities. Mm-hmm. So they, the understanding of they have a role to play with shaping the kind of environment and society we want to have, he took that very seriously.
1: Well, one example that stands out to me is some years ago, there was an incident where an African-American customer came in and was treated very poorly. That's right. And I recall that Schultz said we're going to shut Starbucks and have conversations about race. <laughs> In a very short period of time, yes, that's right. the uh,
0: Starbucks had committed to anti-bias training where all stores were closed at the same time where they are able to do that. And, you know, there was some challenge well, is that going far is it what kind of an initiative is this? But again, you know, when you saw the employees talking about the experience afterwards and, you know, the recognition that this idea of uh, bias exists across mm-hmm. all of us. Um, it doesn't us. matter your upbringing or your race. Um, there are, you know, an un- uh, unconscious bias that exists among all of us. And the more we can all be aware of that, the more we can kind of uh, make the right kinds of behavior changes to address it.
1: And it showed real courage. I mean, to do that, um, and I'm sure to forego a lot of profit because of something that he believed in. So he's a, he is a great example of when you have the, those values. So, okay, so let's say you know. You've got clarity of your values. Hopefully, you've had the opportunity to shape your values, or if you've come to a company later, you've you know kind of had conversations about um, internalizing them. What do you do as a leader once you have that clarity of values? So
0: again, you really need to make sure that you're actively living the values. Um, you know, another great example that I that I touch on, and this is when values become real, is when as an organization you can. Make a decision, as difficult as it might be, uh, that provides a real visible demonstration of that. So PayPal, another Edelman client, they actually, there was a situation in North Carolina where they canceled their plans to open a new facility there after the state government passed legislation that was related to the use of bathrooms by transgender individuals. And the company saw this as targeting LGBT people. So when you hear Dan Schulman talk about that, you know, a lot of PayPal is, is around uh, democratizing financial services, inclusivity, and, and, and making it fully accessible to more. And this was a moment that galvanized employees because it made the values real to them. And in some cases, not everyone was necessarily supportive of, of it within the organization, but at least it was a real example of a demonstration of the values that they could appreciate. And then they could say, okay, well, I can live with that. Or they could say, you know, these are values that I don't live by and I might choose to work somewhere else.
1: The NBA some years ago also got huge kudos when that occurred in in, um, North Carolina in refusing to host the all-star game there. Mm. Because for the same reasons, they said, you know, we're, we're committed to equity, to inclusivity. This is not uh, a place that is aligned with our values. We are not going to host the game there, and receive, rightfully so, real plaudits for that. And their commissioner, Adam Silver, you know, for taking that stand. He had also taken a stand earlier to drive out a Donald Sterling, a very racist owner uh, of the LA Clippers. That's right. So you know, a couple actions that. And more mm-hmm. recently in the news just around actions related to China as well. Right? Well, and to me, that's the flip mm-hmm. because there, you so the NBA had held itself up and, right. and had taken actions that validated its values. And then, of course, what we had in the media where the NBA took, um, took a hit because of the perception that it was placing the value of the China market over the values it had, it had promoted. That's right. So is that the downside? Of, well, absolutely. Or the risk to companies it, and leaders? And you can
0: see that, right? So, I mean, and I, I won't name the company necessarily, but, you know, they'd taken a very, uh, done a very public action um, to, uh, as a public display in support of women uh, for International Women's Day, um, but almost immediately. Uh, this organization faced criticism uh, due to their sustained effort to block increases in minimum wage increases in the United States, which disproportionately affects women. So again, these are examples where um, it can be called out from the outside, but also if you're externally Demonstrating some kind of action or taking a stance on an issue—if um, it's not aligned with your with your values—then employees themselves will call you out on it. And so, you know, you need to recognize the importance in terms of employees because it's what they expect of you in terms of making a meaningful contribution to society. That's what employees are increasingly looking for, and prospective employees. And, and if you do those things, they will act as advocates. As I said, they will defend you. If, if there's criticism, as long as things are aligned with your values, they're more likely to stay loyal to your organization. But on the circumstances where there is misalignment, they're often the first ones to call you out in a public way, and they have many different tools to do that through social media. Right. Which didn't and, or, exist
1: 10 years ago. Exactly, <laughs> mm-hmm. or
0: even calling the media directly. Um, and, uh, and 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 certainly we've seen a number of different industries affected by this. Or there'll be other kinds of actions. You know, We've seen where there's been um, public walkouts mm-hmm. uh, or employee walkouts
1: on a particular issue where they want to challenge their employer for, for certain mm-hmm. things. So. And so the, the threshold... Uh, is higher. You can't just, you know, as a leader, what I'm hearing is that, okay, you can can build trust. You can create deep followership. You can have people raise their game because they share values with you, but they're going to watch to see if your actions match. And if they don't, you know, retribution
0: shall be forthcoming. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that, um, you know, it used to be everything that you did internally was sort of in a, in a painted box. Huh. Now that box is clear. And any actions you take uh, within an organization, you have to just assume it is information that will make, it, make its way outside. And you need to be absolutely comfortable with that.
1: And, and does that place a lot of pressure, do you think, on leaders?
0: Absolutely it does, right? Um, I think when we even talk about the expectations of what employers want of their CEOs to be actively taking a stand on issues, there's a real reticence and a real fear. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I think there needs to be a recognition of the important role that they can play. It's what their employees want to see from them. I mean, that's where we as an agency often become very much involved, right? Um, We use our data uh, such as trust and we'll do additional research to try and understand where are the areas that align with their business and uh, align with you know societal needs to try and find a place where, with great credibility and authenticity, leaders can stand up on issues that are incredibly important. And it's not just these aren't just you know CSR and issues, nice things to do, but that will actually have a meaningful impact on society. Do you find that you have to convince CEOs to be bolder? Yes, absolutely, and I think in Canada, you know, one of the unique challenges we face is a lot of companies here are part of multinational organizations, and so in some cases that can restrict their ability. Um, but the other, the other thing that I would say is in Canada, because we're a we're a smaller market, it's a place where you can perhaps take more risks, yeah. and if 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 it's successful in terms of galvanizing employees support for an organization, which then in turn builds better and deeper connections with customers, um, then it can be something that, as perhaps even a pilot in this marketplace, can then be tried and experimented with in other markets. So
1: be bold if you're listening. Absolutely be bold, (laughs) yeah. How about externally? What do you do with with these values to build trust in the communities, with customers, in the markets where you operate? Well, I think, um, you know... Part of that is going to come
0: through through the interactions. And if you've done the right job, and this is where I said, you know, you need to make sure you've built in the time to effectively communicate your purpose and values to your employees so that they are ultimately living it. And you've got practices that are underway that are delivering on that. Uh, another uh, great client example is, um, you know, Unilever uh, under the leadership of Paul Pullman, uh, made a real effort to focus on uh, sustainability through the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan, um, and the first step was making sure, as a business, they were reorienting everything they did against that that purpose, right? And then once they'd done that over, you know, several years, they could then start to communicate on a public basis what they were doing and how customers, you know, individual purchasers like you and me could go and buy a product and start to feel good about the choice that you're making because you know the actions have been taken within an organization that it's not just, you know, what we call sort of greenwashing. Right. <laughs> it's rather significant efforts um, recognizing there's frankly real business Opportunity and growth opportunity th- through addressing things like uh, the environment and sustainability.
1: And they wait a few years before communicating it?
0: They, 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 I believe, I can't remember the exact date, but certainly their first corporate campaign, the first corporate campaign that Unilever had ever done, had followed a couple years later.
1: Um, so uh, they, that's an interesting choice to not, and um, it was your advice at Edelman, but to not say, hey, we're going to go down this path, here's what we're going to do, but to instead to do it, and it sounds like focus on the internal credibility before they communicate.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly they'd talked about the, uh, the unit lever sustainable living plan and, and, and what kind of actions and the targets they'd identified for themselves. From, from a communication standpoint, there were some efforts around that. But uh, as, in terms of tying it to specific brands, uh, that didn't happen until much, much later in the journey.
1: One issue that, you know, we hear a lot about in North America is housing affordability. And you see some companies, I'm thinking more in the U.S., come forward and pledge money to build affordable housing. I don't know if any of these are your clients, and and I'd love your take on it. Is this genuine? Is it, you know, is it going to set them up for success or set them up for failure and and blowback? So if you look at where you're
0: seeing some of that happen in the U.S., you're seeing it happen in Seattle, and you're seeing it happen in Silicon Valley, where affordable housing so is just, you know, it's, it's off the charts. It's non-existent. <laughs> right. So, you know, certainly you're thinking about it as it relates to your own employees. But you're recognizing, you know, it does have a trickle on effect. And, uh, and so you're seeing organizations respond to that. So for example, you know, Microsoft um, certainly had, uh, had committed dollars within Seattle to combat um, housing issues. You know, and Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, has said, you, know, you can't have a healthy company if you don't have a healthy community. That's absolutely true. Another great example of that is Mark Benioff, uh, Salesforce, Salesforce CEO. Right. And certainly he uh, similarly had wanted to uh, support a new tax among the tech companies to combat homelessness now not every tech company was aligned with his vision for what he believed was necessary. However, you know he's taking a bold stance, a bold position, which would certainly endear him to his employees for the actions that he's actively taking. It it puts the pressure on other organizations to step up and and make a decision on that kind of thing. You know I like uh, how Mark Benioff has talked. about He says he got labeled as an activist CEO, but it's not him. It's not about him. It's he, he says he got pushed there because employees employees are forcing. Them to do so, so I think those kinds of actions are very significant actions that are very positive. And you know, my hope is that we'll continue to see more of that, particularly in cities like Toronto, where we see affordability being a really significant issue.
1: And, and it is inspiring to see companies stepping forward and doing things. And, and I do think you know, you, you look at companies, the demand is there yeah. uh, that they are more than just profit machines. You know, and I think it's uh, for so many years it was all about shareholder value. And, you know, with some of the, the sweeping challenges that we're facing in the world, be they climate change or affordability or inequity, uh, you know, I think this, it's really exciting and inspiring to start to see this happen. Absolutely. Uh, but it also, to your point, it's raising the bar on, on what people are demanding of leaders. So for people listening who aren't CEOs, but they're in an organization, be it a company or government, and who want to make an impact in a way that's aligned with their values in the organization— what advice would you give them?
0: Well, I, I would first make sure, um, encourage them to make sure, you know, their perspective is heard, right? I mean, I think in some cases, CEOs can be quite disconnected from employees. It's not, you know, certainly their intent, but just demands of that role are are incredible. And so they rely on others within the organization to feed up information. I think in some, t- some cases, there's hesitancy to do that, Um but the more uh, we can encourage people to be open on these types of things, what matters to employees, um, that, that allows them to take, take and, and maybe if it's not an individual voice, encouraging working with communications and HR partners who are saying, look, we're having real issues with keeping employees, we're having re- real issues with attracting employees. This is where sort of the metal meets uh, the road because if you don't have a motivated employee base then that's going to have significant impact on your business down the road. So you have to speak up internally about this. You have to speak up internally and make sure this is something that doesn't take a while to address um, because the urgency, again, at a time of high employment and high expectations where the landscape around us is changing radically and business is expected to take a role, that's where you um, you
1: can have a voice in ensuring your organization does. I imagine you could also speak up on causes the organization could get involved in. And you know, if you're and actively encourage the company to do so, does that work?
0: Um Absolutely. I mean, I think if if you if there's a set of values that are already and purpose that you already um, believe in, and there are ways to uh, live that, model it in some way as an organization, that makes it almost easier, yes. right? Because you can say. I see we have this value, but I see that there's a gap in our ability to deliver against it. Here's an opportunity that I think that builds connection um, between you know this and that, right. you know um, whether it be around diversity or something else that we I believe we can have a much greater impact that will be really meaningful not just to our employees but to other stakeholders um, and that we can more actively talk about, but it's really about doing it for the right reasons um, because that is an expectation.
1: Well, this has been a really neat conversation because of, you know, starting with the research you've done on trust. I mean, I think everyone will put it in the, in the notes for the episode, the link to your report, you know, just that quantified proof that people expect their leaders to build trust and they expect them to have values and be acting in a consistent way with those values. But also just these examples that you've articulated of how people can, can define that and then do amazing things. What parting thoughts would you have for leaders who are looking to build trust in this age of anxiety, age of uncertainty, uh, but age of opportunity as well?
0: Well, I think, first of all, you need to recognize that among your employees, there's this feeling of uncertainty, right? And so what are you as a leader looking to do to address that? I think you know, leaders need to recognize how the world around is changing and how expectations of employers and leaders is changing as a result. And so I think it represents a significant opportunity. Too often, employees themselves are deprioritized as an audience mm. in the interest of grabbing the customer. And I would just say, you know, do that at your peril. Your employees are your most important and valuable asset. And so finding ways to work together to either shape both your, your, your purpose and values or making sure that they are part and they feel invested in that, uh, it's, it's an essential part of the journey. And
1: if you do it right, an exciting and rewarding. It should be,
0: absolutely, it should be.
1: Well, thanks for coming on, Scott, and sharing your expertise with us. It's been a real pleasure. Great, well, thank you so much, Bart. Hope you enjoyed that conversation today with Scott Evans. Very relevant in uh, the world we find ourselves in. And I'm trying to bring people on the pod fast to bring you some relevant listening when you may be at home and have extra time to listen. So coming to you soon, it won't be two weeks, there'll be a lot sooner, is a conversation with Howard Foreman. Howard is a professor of diagnostic radiology, public health and economics management in the Yale School of Public Health. He teaches healthcare economics in Yale College Economics Department. And I got to know him on Twitter where he's been uh, an early proponent of increased testing and sounding the alarm on this global pandemic. He is direct to the point and has a lot of valuable insights both on the pandemic and what leaders should be communicating so stay tuned that episode will be coming to you soon thanks and until then stay safe